And you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am absolutely excellent, man. Couldn't be better. I'm excited to go ahead and get into it this week. Last week, we had a bit of a somber episode. We had to call an audible because we lost the late, the great mean Gene Okerlund. We actually taped while I was abroad on a different rig. So if we sounded a little different, that's why. But things are back to normal this week, and we're going to cover the Royal Rumble 1999. But before we do, what was the feedback you got on our tribute to the late and great Mean Gene Oakland? Well, most of it was all positive. I think people appreciated us calling the audible and celebrating the life of one of my dear friends, Gene Oakland. And it was, it's not nice to have to do an episode like that and go back and remember someone. But at the same time, it was nice to remember all the positives and all the good things about Gene Okerlund and what an incredibly talented guy that he truly was. So special that I actually did three main Gene tributes, including one with Tony Giovanni that has a lot of clips in there and even a run in from the nature boy, Ric Flair. So if you haven't already check out the tribute that Eric and I paid over on 83 weeks. And of course, Tony Giovanni and I, what happened when Monday is where you can find those. Uh, and you can find Bruce and I next week, man, January 19th, Colorado Springs live at the social tickets are on sale. Now, brucepritchard.com is where you can pick up your tickets. It's our very first visit ever to Colorado. And then we're taking the show on the road next week too, man. How about Saturday, January 26th at two o'clock we're in San Diego at the world famous Madhouse comedy club. And of course you couldn't do the Royal rumble without us. We're going to be right there at stand up live in phoenix arizona check it out vip is sold out but you can still come see us and you probably didn't think this was coming we're coming to atlanta i can't believe it's happening we've been working on this forever we're coming super bowl weekend that's right just a handful of weeks three weeks and we'll see you there atlanta it's february 2nd tickets are on sale now not a huge venue it's gonna sell out stop what you're doing hook it up right now atlanta ga Bad Street, here we come, man. Bruce Pritchard and our very first show in Atlanta. March 1st, we're back with Eric at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. We've never been to Connecticut, but it's always fun to see you guys tackle each other. Two more shows to announce, too. How about this? March 9th, we're in South Bend, Indiana. I can't believe that's a real thing, but it is, and it's in conjunction with Black Label Pro Wrestling. Tickets on sale now at BrucePritchard.com. And the very next day, Cleveland, Ohio on March 10th. Tickets are on sale there too at brucepritchard.com. So here's the deal. You guys said you never come where we're going. We've never been to Colorado Springs. We've never been to San Diego. We've never been to Phoenix. We've never been to Atlanta. We've never been to Connecticut. We've never been to Indiana. We've never been to Cleveland. A lot of firsts in here, Bruce. A lot of firsts. 
Yeah, and we are coming in Australia. You asked for it, you got it, but it's only going to be me, man. It's a solo show. Come on out and support it. I'm going to be in Australia on March 22nd in Sydney, March 23rd in Melbourne, and the 24th in Brisbane. And all that ticket information is at brucepritchard.com. I'm looking forward to go down under to make a big splash so that we can come back with the con man and we can make a, a huge splash if you know what I mean. But you know what shouldn't be huge, Conrad? What's that? Down there. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, uh, you hmm. know, taming the old briar patch, mowing oh, the my. lawn, trimming the Yeti. I don't know what you and Tony Schiavone call it, but uh, it's about time we talked about manscaping oh. and, and keeping the things trimmed and fresh hmm. below the waist. Okay. Yeah, because 9 out of 10 women of all ages prefer their guy manscaped but you gotta have the right tools for the jewels or you're gonna look like you used a machete so all you gotta do is pop over to manscaped.com and check out their perfect package no 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 i'm not talking about that package the manscaped perfect package 2.0 that was a smash hit on shark tank now it features the lawnmower a precision trimmer engineered for below the waist grooming it's skin-safe technology means no more accidental nicks and burns. Check out the lawnmower and the amazing grooming and hygiene products that come with your perfect package. What's that same? Trim the shrubs and the tree stands taller? Well, order now to receive a manly toiletry bag. Now, that's a $39 value, absolutely free. All you have to do is enter the promo code WRESTLE at Manscaped. Dot com. That's promo code WRESTLE at manscaped.com. All right, man, let's talk about it. While we're here, Royal Rumble 1999, it went down at the Arrowhead Pond right there in Anaheim, California on January 24th, 1999. It did a 1.88 buy rate, which is 8.24 million. Check that out, man. By comparison, Royal Rumble 98 only did a 0.97 buy rate for 3.62 million, an incredible boost in business. Is that one of the biggest year over year increases you remember? Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, what is that? That's what? 150% increase. Not bad. It's incredible. The amount of growth that you guys are seeing here. Uh, the 99 Royal rumble took place at a time clearly where the WWE is firmly in control of the Monday night wars a month prior Goldberg lost at Starcade, And of course, at the beginning of this month, we saw Mrs. Foley's baby boy finally become the world champion for the very first time in a bit of a surprise, even though it was a taped show, it still handily beat finger poke of doom. And Steve Austin is now not only the top baby face in the business, but arguably at this point, the hottest of all time. And what's making him so hot? Well, he's got a great dance partner and maybe the biggest heel the industry's ever known. First, maybe he was a heel behind the scenes, but now Mr. McMahon is on display on a weekly basis. You guys are now on like a 12 week winning streak in the Monday night war over nitro. And it's going to be 13 the night after the rumble. Cause the hits just keep coming at this point. Was there even any excitement in the air when you guys are winning or does it just feel like 
man, business is on such a high. Even if we did slip and lose, who cares? It was pedal to the metal and it was still an exciting time because business had never been better. And we kept trying to look at what's next, what's next on the horizon. What more can we do? And success is intoxicating. We were on a high and we wanted to keep that high going. There was no looking back and we weren't going to go back and say, oh, well, hell, we were there. Now we're here. We were looking at we're here now. We need to be better than this in the future. Well, you guys are going to get there. Um, the theme here is no chance in hell. And of course that's based off of a promo that Vince said to Austin during a promo on raw. And of course we all know it's the iconic theme song. Um, he still uses it all this time later. And I guess it doesn't even really relate to his character now, but at this time in 99, it really did fit the Mr. McMahon character. Uh, he's promised here in this same promo, a hundred thousand dollar bounty on Austin, which he says comes right out of Shane's trust fund. And it's going to be eliminated or it's going to be awarded to whoever can eliminate Austin from the rumble match. Um, the actual theme song, no chance on hell, I believe was probably done by Jim Johnston. One of the more iconic themes that he's done because we're still using it today. What do you remember about the no chance in hell promo or the theme song or just the catchphrase, how it all came to be, man, great, happy accidents. It was something that Vince used in a promo and it was something that he just carried over in addition. It's like, okay, well, no chance in hell. Let's carry that over into the Royal rumble. And that became the theme for Royal rumble, just no chance in hell. And I believe that the, the song was written for the pay-per-view first. And then Vince kept it from that point going forward. I think that's how it worked. He might've, I, it may be the other way around, but I, I, I think it was originally written for that pay-per-view and that theme, but then Vince kept it. And it's just been synonymous with Vince McMahon going forward, no matter heel or baby face, you got no chance, no chance in hell. Well, one of the reasons that there was no chance in hell is the corporation It's Vince McMahon's faction, if you will. And it's in full swing. It's come together in the, in a, the, the two months leading up to this. Of course, we've talked about it briefly, uh, from the December pay-per-view. And of course we saw some of it at survivor series, 1998 at this point, they're pretty easily the top heel faction in the WWF. What did Vince think of the corporation? What did you think about it? Sort of talk to me about how this came together. Well, Vince loved his factions and Vince loved to have warring groups, if you will, a lot of guys together. And so that you could intermingle and create angles and issues with everybody in the group. And they could kind of be interchangeable at different times. The corporation was something, it was a way to have Vince keep his heat, but also surround him with workers and guys that could go out and take the bumps and be the henchmen and actually work the matches. And for lack of a better term, it was Vince is the lead manager, uh, heel manager in the company. So that was, that was kind of the thinking behind it. Let's talk about where the business is. You know, we, we mentioned the incredible increase for this particular pay-per-view business was already turned around by the beginning of 1998, but with the introduction of Mike Tyson, Austin's going to get even hotter in 1998. And so you guys are going to reach unprecedented heights later in 98. And it feels like you continue to climb here in early 99. 
For instance, your average attendance in January 98, 7,603 fans. Here in January of 99, 11,195 fans. That's a 47% increase. Uh, the gate, it's also up to 72.8%, going from 134 grand up to 231,000. Uh, your house shows are selling out at a rate of 85.7%, which is really incredible, especially when you consider where house show business is right now. Your average ratings way up too. check this out in January of 98. Your average rating was a 3.56 in January of 99. It's a 5.58. Boy, there's a lot of people who would be fucking tickled with a 5.58 rating today. Uh, it really is impressive to see just how the business has changed. I mean, you go back just a handful of years to like 94. So five years prior to this, your average attendance in like December was 1,980 fans. It's over 12,000 here. Unbelievable. Is it not? It sure is, but it was, it was good times and we were going to lavish that as long as we possibly could. Let's talk about, um, I guess we should remind everybody if you're just listening to these out of order. And I know some people are just discovering our show and, and digging into the archives. You probably ought to listen to these in order where you listen to where mankind wins the title. And then this one, uh, because that's the January 4th episode of raw. And that really does help set some of this show up. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's running head to head with the finger poke of doom on WCW's nitro product, which is Bruce, take your pills. Thank you. Where Goldberg was supposed to have his rematch with Kevin Nash from Starcade, but instead they do a swerve. Goldberg is arrested and they announce that Hulk Hogan will be filling in. And instead of Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan having a competitive match, Hogan puts one finger on Kevin Nash, who takes, uh, one of the bigger bumps of his career and boom, one, two, three, Hulk Hogan is your champion in hindsight. You know, if you had to really look at it all these years later, is that really the beginning of the end of the Monday night wars for you? A, a lot of our listeners would argue that that to them was the end and you guys were firmly in control. Now, some others would say, no, the end didn't really happen until April. That's when you could really see it in the ratings pretty consistently. But when you just look at storyline and you look at just the creative, is that when you think the end was, or, or is there a different time that comes to your mind? I think if you were going to pinpoint it to, to one, it's hard to pinpoint it to one specific incident. However, for a time frame, I think a lot of the audience on the WCW side that had been diehards really got turned off at that point because they, they had been promised something else, even though it's free TV, I think that they felt that they were lied to and that may have been on their side, but for, for us, we were just looking at moving ahead. We had been ahead for a little while and we didn't feel that the momentum was going to shift anytime soon. So as long as, and it happens to you when, when you're in competition, you become focused on beating the other guy instead of taking care of your own business. And that's happened in this business historically. You know, somebody comes into your territory and you're so worried about beating them that you take your eye off the ball in your own business. So once WCW was doing that and they, they had been in control for so long, they were taking their eye off the ball. 
And we weren't. We were. We started looking inside at our business and inside at our business alone, not really worrying about what the hell they were doing on the other side. Yeah, I guess I should mention here that when we talk about the end, we should at least mention the ratings. Mankind versus The Rock, where Foley wins the world title, gets a 5.9. Hogan and Nash do a 4.6. It almost feels like these are almost like bookends to me. Because when you guys first end the streak of 83 weeks, it's with Austin and Vince McMahon. And then when the finger poke of doom happens against the tape show, it's rock and mankind. What parallels do you draw there between the two? Well, I, I just think that we were doing better television, man. As far as, as far as parallels, you're, you're looking at building and having a foundation, the allure of the first time that Vince McMahon was ever going to quote Russell. Um, that was a setup for Mick Foley and that was a setup for dude love. And here you established dude love as one of the hottest baby faces at that time. And you had Steve Austin and you had mankind. So it was, you know, thank you, Mick Foley kind of on both of those situations, but man, we were just on a roll. We've also seen Shawn Michaels turn back baby face and he's attacked by the corporation. And of course, the reason for that is he's going to have to have back surgery. Um, and he's going to have to miss TV. So if he's going to miss TV, you want him to come back as a baby face. So they turn a baby face and let him uh, rejoin his pals with DX. Uh, the January 11th raw a week after that taped show with uh, Foley is in Houston, your hometown, another sellout, 12,585 fans, an incredible 284,000 bucks and change at the gate. The show opens up with uh, DX introducing mankind as the new champion. And he does a, an interview thanking Jr., who is obviously somebody who campaigned for him behind the scenes to even have this spot. And the place goes absolutely bananas when he thanks Steve Austin. And he says his dream is to main event against Austin at WrestleMania. And then rock Vince and Shane come out and there's a bit of a back and forth before eventually they do an, I quit match with no stoppage for blood loss at the Royal rumble. There's been lots of, shall we say rumor and innuendo. And I know we've touched on it before. Was the original plan for WrestleMania 15 supposed to be a three-way with Austin mankind and the rock? If there was, I, I never heard it. The idea that I'd always, that I'd always <laughs> known and thought was going to be WrestleMania was rock and Austin. And it was from their chemistry that they had through the intercontinental angle that they did prior, whatever, a year before. And that was, that was where they were going with the whole corporation stacking the deck against Austin and for Austin to, to get that win back at WrestleMania. Next up on the show, Val Venus comes out and swivels his hips in front of a woman claiming to be Ken Shamrock's sister. So Shamrock beats him up and then Billy Gunn pulls his pants down and bends over. Um, yeah. Shamrock had elbow surgery just five days prior to this, but he's still out here working. Is nobody in the back saying maybe this is a bad idea? 
Well, first of all, he was protected. It wasn't like he was out there working a, a long match and going through a lot of different stuff. And Ken Shamrock is somewhat of a cyborg. It's it's hard to tell Ken Shamrock, no, you can't go out and do things like that. And Kenny thought that he could protect it, and he was fine with it. Uh, I don't think that that would happen today for damn sure. I think they've instituted things that if unless someone is 100% cleared by a doctor, they're not going to go in. At that time, if you had an injury and we could get around it, then you could get around it, and guys would go out and work. Let's talk about Ryan Shamrock. This is her debut. How did Ryan Shamrock, uh, come to be in the company who discovered her? And there's lots of, uh, whispers about her on message boards back in the day. What can you tell us about this mysterious Ryan Shamrock? Uh, Ryan, I was asked to find a female to play the part of Ken Shamrock's sister for one night in Houston. So I made a phone call to a buddy of mine, uh, New Wave, who was the DJ at the local gentleman's establishment, Heartbreakers in Dickinson, Texas. And I said, I'm looking for kind of a, a wholesome girl. I, I just need a pleasant looking young lady. It's a, it's a one-off deal to be in the crowd. We can identify her as Ken Shamrock's sister. Um, you know anybody? He said, I've got the perfect girl. Mm. And she was dating, I believe she was dating a guy in New Wave's band at the time. Not really sure of the whole thing, but she was a friend of a friend. She came and sat in the crowd, and we identified her as Ken Shamrock's sister. And she got like a $500 payday for that. Someone liked her because she stuck around for a while. Well, yeah, after, after the fact, and then Russo was like, oh, we got to get Ryan Shamrock back. We got to get his sister. I said, man, she's not a, first of all, she's not a worker. She's not an actress. She's not anything other than, well, she's a worker. She was going to college at the time. And it was like, I don't know. She's available. Um, so called asked if she had come in and do some other stuff. And, And it was all supposed every one of them that we did with her for the first, probably, month was this is one off (laughs) you know we're gonna bring you in this time then we won't need you after that and then she became a character and a part of the show and that was one thing that that russo never took into consideration was if you're going to utilize talent and you need people you need you need to have an agreement with them you need to have them on paper you need to firm them up you need to have some idea of what you're going to do with them. If it's a one-off, that's great. But if you have an idea for future plans, we need to have something in writing. We need to do something. And and all these one-offs, it became, okay, uh, we need to put her under contract because she's damn near become a regular on the show. And that's what it evolved into. Uh, Who were her friends backstage? Um... God, uh, at that time she was traveling with Shamrock. She became very friendly with Shamrock. Um, I think she just traveled with, with Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman at the time. They were, uh, maybe kissing cousins. Who knows? No, it was brother, sister, man. Wow. It's even weirder. Uh, yeah. So those are the, you've just sort of confirmed two rumors with the, the rumors were that she was, uh, for lack of a better word, dating Ken Shamrock being very polite there. 
and um that she was recruited from an adult gentleman's establishment and uh well two for two yeah she was never she was never if you're insinuating she was a stripper she was never a stripper but she was recruited from there she was recruited from the dj who was in a band that she happened to be the girlfriend of a guy in the band The rumor was she was recruited from a strip club and you just confirmed that. No, she was recruited from new wave from his band. He called a guy worked at a strip club. And he well, he worked at a strip club. So what you go to strip clubs. So no, does I that don't. mean, whoa, 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 whoa. What? I don't know what you're saying right now, but you, but you, well, need... I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Just because I talked to a guy who happened to work at a strip club and he got a girl that didn't work at the strip club. What did I say that he wasn't also true. had a band. I didn't say she was a stripper. I said she was recruited from a strip club. That's exactly what happened. No, she was recruited from New Wave, from his band. Okay. She's recruited from a band. See, this is why people don't like you. No, people love me. No. Your own family doesn't. Let's calm down. Uh, Kane beat Mankind uh, via DQ in a WWF title match when Kane used a tombstone and then the rock ran in and Kane and mankind, um, are going to use numerous chair shots here. And then Austin, uh, runs in and winds up giving stoners to everybody, both Kane and mankind. Uh, we would also see triple H beat edge with the pedigree. The brood's going to attack DX does a run in the lights go off. And when they come back on road dog is covered in blood. Uh, tell us how the bloodbaths happened and, uh, what road dog thought about his. No, it would, it would depend, but essentially the lights went out and they got a bucket of blood poured over their head. Sometimes the brood would come out and actually do it. Sometimes the guys would do it themselves. It just depended upon where we were, what the logistics of it were. Yeah. But chat me up though. Uh, how do they, um, how is this happening? Like who's, who's under the the ring with a bucket nobody's under the ring with a bucket uh there's a bucket of blood under the ring or this this viscule substance red substance under the ring and sometimes when the lights went out either the guy in the ring would go out and get it and dump it on himself sometimes we would have the brood go out and do it if you wanted to catch a glimpse of them um but that was that was how it was done a lot well, of times they do it themselves. It's it's in black, so you're not seeing anything anyway. So the acolytes appear on the entrance ramp here, and Dennis Knight is laid out on a table, and druids are chanting, and um, the Undertaker's theme comes out over the loudspeakers, and he reappears to sit on a throne in the shape of his symbol. Paul bears with him, and there's all sorts of cryptic talk going back to his origin and he gets off his throne speaks in tongues overnight cuts himself bleeds into a cup and then names dennis knight midian and has him drink his own blood and then he cuts a symbol into knight's chest all right fucking horrible (laughs) fucking horrible hated it i I fucking it was horrible i just it was i hated it what didn't you like i didn't like any of it i didn't i didn't like the uh i didn't like the blood shit i didn't like the knife shit um the sacrifice if you will was the drizzling shits um 
The only part about it that I liked was the speaking in tongues, which I wish I was able to do. And I, I never could quite pull it off. And it pissed me off that Undertaker could do it well. But I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that at all. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Were you in the room when this was pitched? No, thank you. No, no. Are you in gorilla? Are you in gorilla when it's happening? Are you there doing yes. walkthroughs? Okay. So dying a thousand deaths. What's what's McMahon think? Now, was this the one where he levitated and Michael Cole called him? Oh my God, he's levitating. And he was still on the, I, I don't even remember, but I remember the, the whole fucking thing on the stage and the blood and the, the cup and all it, it just was, it was terrible. It was terrible. It, it was the, the bad BC movie of the devil worshiper and all this shit. I, I just thought it sucked. And for me, and again, you're, you, I'm, I'm selfish when I say this and the undertaker, I'm just, I'm, I was very protective of that character and I just thought it was beneath him. I really did. And he, and he liked it, but I didn't, he was cool with it. So they did it, but I didn't like it. What are you saying in the back as it's happening? Are you keeping it to yourself or are you visibly shitting on it? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I expressed my feelings to Vince McMahon. I expressed my feelings to Vince Russo. I expressed my feelings to the undertaker. Um, when Vince said, this is what we're going to do. Okay, great. Let's go do it. Let's make it the best it can be. But I hated it. No, I didn't, didn't sit there and cry at the gorilla position. It just was, you bite your tongue and you go, okay, next. Uh, who thought of the name Midian? The same guy who thought about bringing out knobs and carving people up. Uh, Midian, I think came from Dennis. And I forget what the the meaning behind it was, but he had some kind of meaning behind Midian. He had looked it up, and it was like a disciple. And that's just the name that that they came up with. And he had the the eye tattooed on the back of his head for the third eye, so he's got an eye in back of his head. It was, and he was friends with Undertaker, so there was like the buddies all get to hang out together and all this shit. But it, nobody had any idea of what to do with Tex at that time. Uh, Henry was hurt, looking for something to do with Dennis Knight. And that's what we came up with. Thought if he was a part of a cool group, then maybe he could become cool. What did he think about going from hog farmer to uh, sacrificed? I absolutely loved it. For him, he loved it because you got to work with the Undertaker. You're a part of Undertaker's group. So you're you have the perception of being in, in the top group. Yeah. Midian loved it. Uh, is it, do I even have to guess who wrote this angle? Go ahead and guess. Yes. You have to guess. Who do you guess? Pat Patterson. No. God. Um, Chris Kresge. Chris Kresge wasn't even there. Um, Stephanie. Stephanie was still in, was she still in college? No, she's out. She graduated in 98. Michael Hayes. No, Mike wasn't part of creative at that time either. No, no. Jim Cornette. 
No, no. Cornette was on the creative team, though. Bill Watts. Not there. Zane Breslov. Zane might have been passed away by this time. No. Kevin Sullivan. No. Who am I missing? Vince Russo. Oh, Vince did this. Okay. Huh. I know that's surprising and shocking that he was there at that time. In hindsight, where does this uh, Ministry of Darkness version of Undertaker rank for you? See, I, I thought that it was... Other than after uh, descending from the rafters, I wasn't crazy about that version, but it was better than this. It It's, to me, probably the worst. But had it just been, let's say, The Undertaker and Paul Bear in an evil incarnation and maybe had the acolytes with him is the enforcers, but leave it at that, there's just too many guys. And it just lost. It's like the NWO. Everybody you bumped into back in the hall. Hey, you could be in the Ministry of Darkness. He's a big bastard. So I just thought it got diluted over time. Dilo Brown is supposed to wrestle Mark Henry, but he doesn't want to, but he feels guilty because this is what Terry wants him to do. And he caused her to have a miscarriage. That's real. So he reluctantly agrees. And, uh, he finally wrestles Mark Henry and of course, China and the transvestite Sammy come out. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Uh, China pushes Jacqueline down and her breasts are exposed in the match as well. Um, then we see a training video with Vince and Shane and it's full blown Rocky where you see Vince punching a meat slab. This is, uh, these are three crazy segments in professional wrestling here in a row. I guess first we should talk about China, Sammy, a miscarriage, boobs, lots going on in this segment. Well, first of all, uh, I don't think that anyone ever said the, the word miscarriage oh, ever. Okay. I think they, I think they said, uh, Terry, um, well, she's no longer pregnant. Whatever was there might've lost it. I don't think anybody ever said miscarriage because and, and you, you can, you can sacrifice <laughs> <laughs> on live television and you could say you're pregnant, get knocked down and say, you don't have a baby anymore, but by God, don't say miscarriage. Um, yeah. Uh, and Mark, I believe Mark's mom, Mark's mom was definitely there in Beaumont. She might've even been there for this one too. And it was, it was just absolutely brutal. The, the whole, oh my God, you've got a penis with Sammy and Mark Henry. Just that's another one that you kind of scratch your head and say, really? Wait, you're getting way ahead. Let's talk about, let's talk about Vince McMahon punching the meat slabs. Yeah. Good shit. He punched meat slabs. He caught the chicken. All right. Um, listen, if you're going to skip ahead, just, you know, take well, over. it all in the same, you, the, no, in the same, they spread oh. it out. Now, damn it. Oh. Are we not trying to have a three hour show? Like always, <laughs> if you, what'd you think of the main event? How about when Vince won the rumble? Thanks for fucking tuning in. Let's do commercials now. <laughs> oh, Jesus God. Christ. So chat me up. Where'd you shoot the, uh, the training montage of him with the goddamn meat? You motherfucker. In the American, American dream butcher shop, if you will. 
You can be my prophet, but you sure can't beat my meat. The same butcher shop in, in downtown Stanford that we shot the American Dream butcher shop shit. Little local place, and the guy had big slabs of, of cow in there that he would cut up. And laughed and bought a side of cattle. How much is that big hunk of beef? Okay. Now we're going to punch on it for a while. So after after Vince beat it up, does he like tell Howard Finkel to throw it in his van or what? What's happening? Ah, oh, damn! Now chop it up. I've tenderized it. I actually think that I think that is what happened. I think they they did buy it and that the guy then cut it all up. Vince uh, took it home, threw it in the freezer. God damn! Load up my car. Did you produce it? I did not. I did not. No, that was a Vince and Shane production. It's amazing. So let's talk about the main event of this show. It's the corporate Royal rumble. Uh, the winner gets to be the 30th entrant into the Royal rumble match on pay-per-view and the DX side features all of its male members while the corporation, uh, includes shamrock boss man, Kane test. And eventually Vince decides to make himself a surprise entrant. And it looks like Vince wins when he dumps triple H and boss man, as they fight near the ropes. But China becomes the final surprise entrant and she throws McMahon out as he was distracted by Austin and unbelievable now, but China is the 30th entrant into the Royal rumble. I know we, you, not me gave Russo a little shit, but this is pretty fun. China in the Royal rumble and how she accidentally wins number 30. What'd you think when you first heard the idea? Was anybody for it? Was anybody against it? When was it brought up? What did the boys think about it? Well, it was fun. And China was a hell of an attraction at the time. So for her to be in it, that was a pretty damn cool thing. It was a first. Vince loved first, by God. So her in there. Now, there were, uh, I think there were talent. And you can say who? I don't remember who specifically. But there were guys, I don't want a girl throwing me out. But it wasn't a girl. It was China. And it was, goddamn, get over it. But it was just, a, it was a nice little addition. When you, just when you think, you know, Vince has got this all tied up, she comes in and screws everything up. But the, you know, the, the bump Vince took over was an indication where it was absolutely brutal. Damn near killed himself. But it was one of those things where, it's like Vince, you, you've got you've got to you got to train. You, you've got to learn how to do all this shit, which he was. But there were some things that Vince would just throw himself into and go out and do. Sometimes for the very first time on live television out and out in the ring, he's he's just crazy. And this was one of them. And we're lucky that they didn't break his neck and we didn't have him anymore. Yeah, it could have been nasty and it, it was a nasty bump and, uh, raw wins for whatever it's worth. Surprise does a 5.5 nitro gets a 3.0. I also want to mention that, uh, around this time is when the boo birds really start to come out about some of the content, uh, including a lot of teachers who are really, really upset with what you guys are airing, including, you know, gyrating their hips. And grabbing their genital regions and saying, suck this is apparently what the teachers are hearing a lot up in Winnipeg, you idiot. 
Uh, TSN was heavily editing the show, but still you guys are getting backlash even with the edited version at any point in here. Did you think maybe we're going too far when we're doing miscarriages and human sacrifices and telling everybody to suck it and or any of that? I think that there was a feeling that that is one of the reasons the edginess to the product that was garnering a new fan base and, and a lot of people that liked that edginess. And they, they, that was the part of the programming that they liked best for those of us, the traditionalists, the old timers, if you will, it was good God, what are we doing? And it gave cannon fodder to a lot of people like the, the parent teacher council and all this shit, this group up in Winnipeg just gave them more ammunition. And I think that the more that they talked about us, the more that Vince liked it because Hey, any publicity is good publicity. Well, certainly not hurting you at the gate. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how strong it was sellouts in Albuquerque for $209,000 Las Cruces, $241,000 San Antonio, 170,000, uh, pretty incredible. You guys go on a string 15 consecutive sellouts in a row. Las Cruces is not a sellout. So that breaks the streak, but merchandise that week, there's $306,000 or $7 and 34 cents per head. Was there a rule of thumb you guys look for as far as a per head number? I think it was, it was about that. And that's pretty much dead on at that time of what we assumed we were going to be taking out of the market. The fact that Las Cruces drew 11,000 people, um, is crazy, but you're, you're drawing that from El Paso and a lot of different things. I, I can't believe we drew that many people in Las Cruces. So that's pretty damn impressive in and of itself. When you talk about those numbers, do you want to guess the population of Las Cruces? Uh, 11,750. <laughs> uh, I mean, realistically it, back in, uh, 2000, it was like 75,000. So when you think about you drew 11,000 in a crowd of, or a town of 75, that's pretty strong. That's nuts. And, and now I get it. You know, a lot of those people, El Paso is a 40 minute trip south so a lot of the folks from el paso were coming into las cruces but still that is an impressive number I, when you're going through numbers i'm like going really las cruces oh my god and las cruces is a great town but wow that's impressive stone cold steve austin was uh, making appearances on nash bridges in this era and he also taped an episode this week here how did the relationship with Nash Bridges and Steve Austin come to be? Well, it was during one of those times, uh, Baywatch people and different folks like that in Hollywood that were looking for wrestling talent to appear on different shows. And Steve was able to go out and work with Don Johnson on this shit. And he was able to create a character that became a reoccurring character. And during this time is when Steve Austin tells a great story about being on Don Johnson's trailer, one of the production assistants coming in and saying, Mr. Johnson, um, they're ready for you on the set in 10 minutes. He says, all right, I'll be there. 10 minutes goes by and Don Johnson starts to walk out of his trailer and the PA is coming back in and says, sorry, Mr. Johnson, uh, they're, they're not ready just yet. And Don Johnson looks at the guys says, son, don't make me have to learn your name. 
And I thought that was one of the greatest lines I'd ever heard. And I stole that from Don Johnson, uh, on different crew members throughout the years, but Steve developed a, a rapport with them. They liked Steve. And there was even talk about doing a series based on that character that Steve played in Nash bridges. Why didn't it happen? Timing wise. And, and I think that Steve at the time was the hottest thing in the business. He didn't want to take all that time off to go into a television series. Let's talk a little bit about the other Steve Williams, the Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Meltzer would write that they're going to reintroduce him here and, uh, he's ready to go. But the plan is to say that he's turned his back on America for Japan and do some vignettes before starting him on TV. Of course, we know that really never gets off the ground. The rumor and innuendo is that had he not gotten fucked up in the brawl for all, he was going to feud with Steve Austin in 1998. What was supposed to have happened with Dr. Death when you brought him in, had the injury not happened and why didn't the comeback here happen the way we kind of expected? Well, first of all, when Steve came in, Steve was brought in as a top guy. When we looked at hiring Dr. Death, Steve Williams, we looked at somebody that could have a hell of a run with Austin and everybody else, Undertaker and everybody else on down the line. So when he was making his debut and JR was talking about the baddest man on the planet being Dr. Death, Steve Williams, they put him in the brawl for all, which was the, one of the big blunders, uh, ever to take a guy at his age one of the toughest human beings I've, I've ever known in my life, Dr. Dusty Williams, but age is not kind. Okay. You're not, I don't give a shit who you are when you're 35, 40 years old, you are not as good as you were when you were 20 years old. So, um, the idea behind bringing doc in originally was to make doc a top guy and for doc to be a nasty heel and, and for him to be one of our top guys, the brawl for all ended that because it screwed him up. And I think that it also not only screwed him up physically, but I think it screwed up Dr. Death mentally as well. His psyche, it, it wasn't there. He was no longer the baddest guy in the locker room, just based on reputation. He had got his dick knocked stiff by Bart Gunn and tore his hamstring, all that nasty shit. Vince's idea to bring him back. And you and I have never even talked about this. So, um, this was crazy. Vince's idea was to bring him back. He had been in Japan and to talk about how Dr. Death, Steve Williams was turning his back on America. He was all American and he had adopted the way of the Japanese and he would not do promos that he would have a manager do his promos for him. And his manager was going to be me. And I would speak in a Japanese dialect like, oh, boy, son, you know, like this. Wear face paint. And my name. Two guesses at what my name was going to be. Well, I have no idea. Kabuki. Oh, God. So the whole idea is I would dress up as a Kabuki with the face, just like the old guy, Kabuki, the old wrestler, Kabuki paint my face completely, 
do my hair black, but also wear one of those kabuki masks when I would go out and do all the, the interviews, a boy son, like, you know, a, a bad Mr. Fuji impression. And I would cut all the promos for Dr. Death. We did it one night in, I think we were in Nashville or, or something along those times. It was the February 15th. Uh, that was the date that we did it. And the only reason I know that is because it was the night before my kids were born and went out and it was terrible and then scrapped it. And it was, it wasn't something that I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait to do this. It was one of those Bruce, This is what you're going to do. And I want that voice you do. And it just sucked. And we realized when we got out there, this isn't going to work. This just isn't going to work. And, and all I did was go out with doc and cut a promo, uh, for the dark. And that would be interesting. That's something that I got to ask if that even exists somewhere. But it was a drizzling shits. Why don't you that think w- that was the plan? Why don't you think it happened? Because it sucked. And but I, let I think me, that you, at you, that point, I think at no, that I, point, I, what? You're sacrificing motherfuckers. Yeah. Did a lot of shit that sucked. No, this sucked really bad. So instead you guys go with Jim Ross managing him. It's very brief, but Jr. is managing him. He's attacking people with suplexes. The goal is, uh, I guess I should say first in February, he would show up as a masked man who throws bark gun off the stage. And he's doing this to get revenge against bark gun for the brawl for all loss. And he has, um, a deal where he's pursuing hardcore Holly and then tiger Ali Singh for making fun of Jr. And according to William's biography and his RF video shoot that he did, this was all supposed to build to stone cold, Steve Austin. And that's what, you know, at least he was under the impression that that's the way it was supposed to go to the point where a lot of people believe that the spot that triple H wound up with where he is attacking Jim Ross to start his feud with Austin, that that was probably meant for Dr. Death. Fair to say? No, I would say it was, it would be fair to say that Jim Ross and Dr. Death might've thought that it is not fair to say that that's what Vince McMahon had in mind for him. Vince McMahon did not see Dr. Death after the deal with Bart did not see Dr. Death ever recovering from that to be a top guy. He thought if it was at all going to happen, that he would have to do it either under a mask or as someone else. Vince did not have that confidence in him. Jr. did. As but fu- when when Doc came back, Doc was Doc was kind of a shell of his former self. It's a shame. If you guys have so much great talent that we saw in Japan in the mid nine or late mid to late nineties here, but for whatever reason, these unfortunate series of events, you had Terry Gordy in 96, but it was after he had had his incident on the plane and he's the executioner and it's just not quite the same. And sort of the same deal here for Dr. Death, where it was, you know, you know, Conrad, it's when, you know, people that are really confident and, and 
are the life of the party and everything, and maybe they get a divorce or they go through something traumatic in their life, and they're a completely different person on the other side. Yeah. That's what happened with Doc here. He he had lost that self-assuredness. He had lost that that cockiness. He had lost that he Doc naturally walked out with his chest puffed out. Um one of the greatest guys I've ever had the pleasure to know. I mean, just a sweetheart of a human being and a badass. That fucking brawl for all destroyed Dr. Death. Destroyed him. Well, that was sad. Let's talk about something else that's destroyed. It's fun to look back and think about what could have been with Dr. Death and, um, you guys had other big plans once upon a time for the Debbie Reynolds hotel in Las Vegas. You purchased it in 1998, but here it's revealed in the torch that you guys plan to demolish it and build an entirely new facility. And allegedly this decision is made because you want to build an auditorium in the hotel where you can have live events take place. And there's no real way to do that with the current structure. Do you remember the whispers of maybe some retooling this idea of the Debbie Reynolds hotel? Yeah, there weren't whispers. That was Vince's plan from day one. I don't think there was never a plan to just keep the Debbie Reynolds hotel and, and casino as it was, that was absolutely never the plan. Vince had always looked at retooling that thing, tearing it down and building like a several thousand room hotel. And and we had draw, I mean, God, I saw drawings probably within a month after purchasing it of what the casino would look like and what the hotel would look like. They only kept it open for, for the time being just to, to keep it running and keep it going. But I don't know that Vince ever planned on keeping that structure ever. I think it was always his intention of going in bought the casino. So he'd buy the license and he'd get the land and everything around it, tear it down and build a WWF casino and hotel. Oh man. How weird would that have been for there to be a WWF hotel, uh, the January 18th raw, which is well, the- hang on. But, but the, the idea behind it was to take a lot of the legends and take a lot of the guys like you would have greeters back in the day at the casinos. Like there was a time in Atlantic city that Joe Frazier would greet you at the door. The idea was to take a lot of the legends, have them move out to Las Vegas, use them as greeters and be able to create like some of these stand-up shows and different things, build an arena inside so that you could have weekly wrestling in Las Vegas, you know, live from the WWF casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it was a lot of grandiose plans, man. And, and it was, it was wild, but there were plans for it. The January 18th draws the go home show for the Royal rumble. Um, it's taped January 12th in Beaumont, 7,454 fans here paying 162 grand. Of course we open up with an Austin interview and he's bringing up the idea that he'd be facing mankind at WrestleMania for the world title. Was that ever even seriously considered? No. Okay. Um, I knew where we were going. Then we see a vignette for halftime heat during the halftime of the Super Bowl. 
And that would end up being the rock defending the world title against mankind in an empty arena match. Talk to us a little bit about the idea for halftime heat. Halftime heat was a concept that Vince had because he was looking at the super bowl. I believe Fox had alternative programming for halftime that was going to go live. And he says, why in the hell aren't we doing that? Why can't we promote to one event? We can pre-tape it, but give the illusion that it's live. And how do you know how, first of all, how do we keep it under wraps? Get people to change the channel and not watch what's on the Super Bowl, but it would be, it would start immediately when the Super Bowl went to their halftime, you know, uh, teams run off the field, go on over to the USA network and here's halftime heat. The match will be finished. Tune back to the football game for the second half of the game. So as all of this is going on and the different ideas bandied about, I believe it was Jim Cornette who came up with the idea based on the Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, empty arena match to do the empty arena match that would allow us to have the match tape it, not have an audience. So no one would know what the outcome was. No one would know what it was. And we shot it at TV and did it with very little crew and nobody in the arena and put that whole package together, edited it down so that it was perfect fit right in that slot. I thought it was a damn cool idea and something that, that worked, but I, I believe it was corny that came up with the oh, damn Jerry Lawler, Jerry Funk did one of the greatest matches ever. Nobody there empty arena match. And that was, that was the, the whole push to the empty arena match. You know, when you think about the empty arena match, think about old school and there is an opportunity for you to train old school. Tell everybody about it. Well, uh, Glenn Jacobs, Kane, and my brother, Tom, Tom Pritchard have opened up a wrestling school in Knoxville, Tennessee, the JPWA wrestling school. Now you can find out all about it at JP wrestling academy.com. And they're taking new students and they've just started their first semester, if you will. But if you want to learn the right way and the fundamentals, Check out jpwrestlingacademy.com. Learn from the best. Learn from the guy, my brother, Tom Pritchard, who actually trained The Rock, who trained Kurt Angle, who trained Vince McMahon and all the McMahons. And it's the best starting place if you really want to learn the right way in the wrestling business. We see uh, Vince McMahon doing a little training here. You mentioned your brother, Tom, and some training vignettes. He's preparing in a WWF warehouse and he promises to quote, get him some at the rumble beats up your brother, pulls out his own version of the stone cold stunner in the process. And he's practicing throwing some masked wrestlers over the top. Uh, chat me up here. Remember who these masked guys were and were you there when this was shot? I actually was there and the masked guys. I want to say it was Mike bell and Danny DeVito, but I don't even really remember for sure. It was just local guys in the area that we brought in and Tom would get his ass kicked every night by Vince anyway, training him. So we just brought a camera in there one night late when they had their training session and brought in a couple other guys to do it. And it was all spliced together and edited. And we allowed that, you know, the, the production 
crew to have free reign with that. Mankind beat big boss man by DQ when the rock interfered and attacked mankind with a chair. And then we get an unbelievable segment. China calls Mark Henry out to the ring, demanding that he come clean or he'll be embarrassed in front of his mother. Who's sitting at ringside. And Mark promises that he did not do anything with someone, but that is not enough for China who runs footage of last week where Sammy seduced Henry until he found out that she was indeed a transvestite. And China tells Henry that she would never sleep with him and then gives him a low blow. And then we see a shot of Henry's mother as she softly spanks him to close the segment. Uh, the, you know, you know how the internet is. There's rumors that you guys did this angle on purpose in his hometown with his mom there with the idea that maybe if you push the envelope, you could get him to quit. But other people say, no, that's just Vince. If he knows you're at home, he's going to try to fuck with you. What say you? Well, it was just the culmination of the storyline. The fact that it was in his hometown and wasn't his, it wasn't in his hometown, but it was close enough. The fact that his mother was there, that just added to the story. So that was just great timing and the culmination of the story with his mom there that hadn't, that's just total fucking bullshit. You know, this was at a time that we were doing shit with Mark and that Mark was starting to at least get a little better and at least showing some aptitude to, to want to work harder. So, so, so because he was doing so well, let's put him in this angle, right? Well, he was in a storyline. Yep. So it was Midian when you sacrificed yep, him. Exactly. If you had to uh, be sacrificed or, uh, let Sammy give you a BJ, where are you at? Well, Conrad, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere, but if it, if it wasn't Sammy, I mean, you know, there, there are times. Okay. I mean, you remember when you were always ready to go, right? Just drop of a hat, blow of the wind, whatever it is. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed by, just heading on over to our friends at bluechew.com. Now, bluechew.com, that's that's blue like the color. Uh, it brings you the very first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So we know they work. Uh, you can take them anytime, day, night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises, if you will. Now, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, none of that awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. All right, and Conrad, you obviously you know an awful lot about Blue Chew and have sung its praises for a long time, and I have some friends that... All they do every time they see me is, hey, thanks for the blue chew tip, man. And not for the, well, you know. And uh, they love it. Yeah. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment absolutely positively free when you use our special promo code WRESTLE. All you have to do is pay the $5 shipping. That's Bluetooth, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W dot com. 
be sure and use our promo code WRESTLE to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we love Blue Chew over here at Something to Wrestle With, by God. Gentlemen, start your boners. Uh, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe (laughs) are discussing strategy for their handicap match against China and Briscoe is hyping his amateur career at Oklahoma. Patterson is talking about his accolades as the first intercontinental champion. What a great segment this is. I love the stooges and they're arguing over who should pin China in the handicap match. And Briscoe makes up a story of how McMahon told him he could get the pin after he sent Patterson to go get some coffee. Uh, Midian comes out dressed in red attire and asks Lawler if he can feel it. And then the ministry's music plays and the acolytes, the Druids, Paul bear and the undertaker all come out and undertaker cuts a promo saying how Midian has been overlooked because of the politics of the corruption of our world. And he announces that another sacrifice has been scheduled for the Royal rumble. Of course, eventually we see China beat Patterson and Briscoe Patterson at one point gives China a low blow, but of course she doesn't sell it. And Sable tries to do a run in when China's getting beaten on, but Luna starts whipping her with a belt. Briscoe does the corporate elbow, which is hilarious, but Patterson breaks up the pin, which is kind of fun. Uh, Patterson and Briscoe then each grab China's breasts over her sports bra, which was digitized on television. And Lawler made a joke about Patterson who was smiling and Lawler's joking something like he's not supposed to like that. What'd you think of, uh, of course, China DDT's both guys, pins them both. What'd you think of China versus the Stooges? I thought it was highly entertaining. It was, it was a funny ha ha moment and, uh, we, we don't do this, but Hey, you know, give credit to Vince Russo. I thought it was highly entertaining and very well done. The Patterson you say we don't that do that together. We, we, put we do over, it all the time. That's yeah. my point. I'm just being a smart ass here. Well, people are going to take it literally. Cause you're just broken the fucking bear lately. I don't, I, what the bear he's going to send 38 desperate middle of the night fucking tweets again and tag <laughs> us both. If you keep doing this. Uh, he's muted on me, so I don't see any. Well, I mean, he won't, he won't just call us. He's got to just anyway, please don't yeah. do that anymore. I don't need I that. just put him over. I just said it was great shit. No, you said he didn't. And now they're going to take that literal and all of Mac. No, Coons I thought this was great. Minion. I thought it was great shit. And Patterson put it, it was one of the, um, most fun of listening to Pat put a match together and coming up with some of the crazy ideas that he came up with. And, you know, watching it, I think it's one of those that, that you just kind of have to smile. And if you can't smile at that and have fun with it, then get out. Speaking of things you can't do now, uh, rock and Kane are in the main event and the rock kept calling Kane a giant retard, which you can't say now. No shit. I mean, there's so much stuff that you just like, golly, how things were different 20 years ago, man. Of course, eventually, you know, it's coming. There's going to be a big schmoz. Uh, the corporation's going to come down. Austin's going to show up at the finish. Austin, uh, helps these guys earn a near record rating here. 5.59 and an 8.3 share nitro only does a 4.86 and a 7.1 share. Really, really, really unbelievable rating. Isn't it crazy to think about in these 
consecutive Raws here. All the silly nonsense you guys got away with. Yeah, and it, Jesus, it, it's amazing. Every single week, I bet you that there's probably three or four examples of shit you would go, good God, you couldn't do that today. You couldn't do it five years ago <laughs> even. But it was, it was a different time. That's for damn sure. Meltzer, I'm sorry, Wayne Keller would report Terry Taylor's role in the WWF as that of assistant booker and TV writer. He started with the company on Tuesday, January 19th by participating in a booking meeting at the usual setting of Vince McMahon's home dining room table. He'll co-write the TV shows with McMahon, Russo, and Ed Ferrara. The reaction amongst WWF wrestlers of the news has been positive. The belief is Taylor will compliment Russo and Ferrara's pl- plot lines by bringing a former wrestler's perspective and expertise into the mix. Russo, Ferrara, and even McMahon are not known for having creative match finishes. Thus, raw match finishes often end without a finish at all. Russo has preached that matches don't need a finish as long as they're entertaining, but that scene is convenient uh, for someone to take when you're not known as having experience with booking match finishes. As of now, there are apparently no plans for Taylor to return to the ring, although that hasn't been ruled out. Of course, it doesn't happen. When you read a report like this and you read that it happened allegedly at Vince's dining room table, you got to start to wonder, well, who leaked it? And then you read how all the wrestlers are really excited and he's going to add a lot because of the finishes. How fast when Terry Taylor got in his car out of Vince's house, do you think he called Wade Keller? Well, it's, it's a giveaway when the description of his job is assistant booker. There has never been a booker or assistant booker um, in Vince's time of having a company. Vince, if there was ever a booker, Vince is the booker. If, <laughs> if you want to call anybody the booker, um, Vince just never used that term. Vince hated that term, as a matter of fact. So that kind of tells you, you know, where the head of the person that fed him that, and and I, it all kind of comes from Terry. But I will also say this, you know, when Terry came in and Vince was looking for someone to sit down with him from a wrestling perspective, Terry was available. Jim Ross and myself both were like, well, you know what? Uh, he probably could help you. He's had experience and. He's as good as anybody else. And if he's available, let's, let's give him a shot. He was young and he had experience. Give it a shot. But it, it certainly proved fairly quickly that, you know, old, old habits were hard to break. And what do you mean? Well, like what you just said, how all this got out and the way it got out as, as quickly as it did with, because no one internally, it wasn't a big deal internally that Terry was there. Terry was just another member of the team. And that's the way it was presented to each and every one of us. And Jim and I, uh, from talent relations, we were both in favor of it. We were in favor of Terry coming on and helping out. Um, his, reputation i think with talent over the years and things like that were one of they didn't trust terry and for all the things that you just brought up the feeling was that there was a leak to the dirt sheets what have you um i don't know that it was necessarily welcomed with open arms when you guys see that this is in the newsletter right away 
with details like this. I mean, it's e- as you said, it's easy to figure out who it is. Does somebody put it on Vince's desk? Like, look at this shit. Didn't really care. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of stock put into what was in the dirt sheets because 99% of it was wrong. Anyway, it was just something else to point out. You know, if you if you went in and showed Vince everything that was wrong in the dirt sheet or this bullshit that's printed in the dirt sheet, you just have to take them dirt sheets every week. Um, but Howard Finkel would kind of prepare a synopsis of what's in the news and what's the dirt as Jim Barnett used to say. And Howard would kind of condense everything into one deal. But, um, we didn't, we didn't pay that much attention to that kind of shit. Honestly. Um, how does he get back in? You know, you said he wasn't necessarily welcome with open arms. Who suggested him? Was he reaching out as a squeaky wheel against the grease? I believe that Terry was reaching out. So his name came up. Vince wanted someone with wrestling experience sitting in with him. Uh, you know, Pat was long retired at that point and it was, it was a name. It was somebody that was reaching out and Terry's got a pretty good presentation, man. Uh, Terry slick. So he had a good presentation and Vince was willing to give him a chance. And Vince has given people, you know, chance after chance. He gave me a, another chance. So, um, that's, that's what he is. That's what he does. Plus, you know, Vince asked, asked JR and I both, and we both were like, yeah, Terry would be good to sit in with you guys. He's, he's younger. You know, he's not, he's not of that old school, Pat Patterson and, uh, that ilk, he was newer generation, so thought he might be able to fit in a little bit. And, uh, he definitely had wrestling experience And under that guise of being a part of a four man team with Vince McMahon, Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara, you know, how much, how much damage can he do? And hopefully he won't self-destruct. Men's Tao asked for his release around this time, and uh, he's already back in Japan. Dick to go uh, is going to get his official release on March 1st, and uh, he's already gone and back in Japan. Funaki is living in San Antonio, and he's going to stay. Taka has asked for his release and also is back in Japan, but they want to send him to ECW to try to keep him away from WCW. Any uh, stories of Kai and Ty you can share here? Indeed. Uh, you know, it was just during the time we had had Wally Yamaguchi as their interpreters and their manager on air. Wally was looking to get back to Japan, and the guys were homesick. They they didn't want to live in the states anymore and travel as much. They had come from uh, Michinoku Pro in Japan, which is kind of like the Northern part of Japan. And it was a smaller territory and they were big fish in a small pond there. They enjoyed it and they were getting homesick. So it was time for them to go. Uh, Funaki had man. He had settled in San Antonio. He loved Texas. He loved San Antonio and that's where he wanted to stay and raise his kids. So Funaki was like, I don't look, I want to stay whatever I can do. I want to stay. Taka, he was kind of in between. He had been gone probably. He, well, Taka had been there longer than the rest of them. And 
Taka was looking at doing some different things, but it was the opportunity to come up. He, he didn't feel like he was being used. He didn't feel like there was anything there for him. Paul wanted him in ECW. He said, okay, you want to go work ECW? He was cool with that. Um, but eventually he went back to Michinoku as well. And Funaki stayed, man, and, and Jesus, he's, he's still there because he's, he's a good human being. And he, you tell Funaki be there at 10, he's going to be there at 945 every single time ready to work. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being. How hot was uh, VHS for you guys? In my research, I found that the uh, top VHS charts as far as sales for the United States, you guys had eight of the top 10. It was fucking amazing, dude. It was absolutely. I think the reasoning for it was we were able to just crank out so much content and we could crank them out fairly quickly this time. Back in the day, when you go back into the 80s, when we were doing Coliseum home video to produce a home video would take six months for one of those compilation videos. Why it took that long. I will never know, but it took that long. Then you had all the dubbing and the packaging and everything else that went into it. Well, you come 1998, 1999, it was a different world. And plus you weren't selling them. For $69.99 a pop. Now you could sell them for $9.99. So they became affordable. And we were cranking out so much content anyway that we would record dark matches. We were recording stuff all over the place that wasn't being seen by anybody. Man, shit, put that on a videotape and sell it. So it was it was just a really good time. The business was hot and the audience wanted more. Um, <laughs> you know, raw was only two hours then, and you didn't have all this other stuff going on. So you didn't have SmackDown. You didn't have all this other crap and people wanted more content. Now they've got shit a hundred hours of it. First Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it seems. Let's get to the Royal rumble sold out weeks ahead of time. 14,816 fans in the building. Of which 13,597 were paying 630,050 bucks, another 137 grand and change in merchandise. Whew, what a house. There's one dark match on the show. A couple of guys, I don't know if they'll ever do anything in the business. Christian and Jeff Hardy. Uh, this Christian guy got the pin in 11 minutes with uh, what would become the unprettier uh, at this point. It was still referred to by Dave Meltzer as Tommy Rogers, Tom Akazi. and Meltzer loved the match. It went 11 minutes and he says it was the second best match on the entire show. A pretty cool peek into the future here. 14 months after this in the same building, these two men are going to be a part of that famous triple ladder match that really helps put them on the map at WrestleMania 2000. Let's get to Sunday night heat. It did a 4.77 rating. That's actually higher than nitro six days prior, which only did a 4.4. They opened with a montage of the Austin McMahon feud. And then Kevin Kelly and Shane McMahon opened the show. What'd you think about Kevin and Shane as the uh, voice of Sunday night heat? Yeah, I thought they were fine. I just don't think that Shane, uh, 
Shane wasn't a commentator. Shane wasn't a color guy. I don't think that that was his forte. Kevin Kelly, to me, was a really good play-by-play guy. I think he's still a pretty good play-by-play guy. But them as a team, and I just don't think that was Shane's forte. So always felt like it was forced to me. Let's talk a little bit about um, Vince, Gerald, and Pat Patterson coming to the ring for no chance in hell. Uh, Shane joins them in the ring and Vince announces that Austin has 30 minutes to arrive at the arena or he's going to be eliminated from the Royal rumble. I guess I should mention here that we've also seen footage of Austin trying to pull up to the arena in his pickup truck and a parking lot attendant tells him that uh, Mr. McMahon is only allowing limousines in the VIP parking lot. Austin gets angry, peels out of the parking lot and says he'll find a limo. So at this point now McMahon says, well, he's only got 30 minutes or he's eliminated. And we also see mankind is going to have to wrestle a warm up match against a mystery opponent on the show. And Shane goes back to the broadcast table and, uh, he, uh, Vince and his crew leave. And then we see a limo pull into the parking lot. After the break, the Stooges meet up with the limo and a large black man wearing a ski mask exits the limo and goes into the arena with the Stooges. This is directly from the observer, Bob Holly and Scorpio beat Taylor and uh, Christopher in three minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, the work was not good. According to Dave Meltzer, uh, we do see, uh, a way to set up the acolytes attacking the job squad, which has the undertaker. And Paul Bear made up coming to the ring, and uh, a shot of mankind is shown in the boiler room, and Shane's taunting him while on commentary, and mankind's calling him a pretentious little twit, and he's making that rhyme because he's saying he wouldn't quit, and uh, this is a pretty important promo because you see mankind scream that the rock is going to be the one to scream. I quit. I quit. I quit. And Shane thanks mankind for the kind words. Then we see a stone cold countdown clock, which is giving us the exact time that Vince gave Austin to arrive at the arena. And of course we've got a continued shot here in the parking lot, which allows a monster truck limo to appear. And then barrel over a bunch of cars. Like you would see at some arena show for monster trucks. Austin jumps out the the driver's door and comes to the ring. Tell me about this monster truck limo. Did you guys find it first and then just reverse book all this stuff? Where in the world does one source and who in the world sources a monster truck limo? Well, you go in the phone book to monster truck limos are us and give them a call. And there's, there's quite a few in Anaheim to be exact. There was, there seemed to be a, a fondness during the Austin era of different motor vehicles for Steve to ride in and crash and do different things with, I believe that this one, because there were so many, we were working on the, uh, stone cold monster truck in general to compete in the monster truck competition that toured and goes around the country and you had your grave diggers and all that. Well, they wanted a stone cold monster truck in talking to those folks about licensing and everything. 
the idea came out, you know, what, what do you have? And they had this limo available out there. Um, it was a limo body on a monster truck base. So hell that's, that made kind of wrote itself. And Vince loved to have Steve come in and destroy shit with motor vehicles. So it was served every purpose that there was. And eventually I think we actually got that stone cold monster truck as well. But it kind of like was all this, everything. It was a perfect storm. It all came together at once and we used it. We also see, um, mankind beat the mystery man. The mystery man, of course, is going to be Mabel. Five minutes and four seconds. Uh, not really that big of a surprise when you see the size of the dude. What's the thinking here? Well, the idea behind it was, uh, Mabel was coming back. He was going to be a part of the ministry. So it was somebody that was part of Vince's corporation that goes out and, uh, he's introduced that the mystery man to soften up mankind earlier in the night. And then undertaker eyes him and sees him. And then that's the sacrifice for later on in the night. So that was the whole idea behind even bringing Nelson back at the time. Uh, just one leads into another wasn't, wasn't like we were trying to pull the wool over on anybody. What was the relationship like with Vince and Mabel? It feels like he's sort of on again, off again during this era. Well, Vince likes big guys. And if you ever knew Nelson Frazier, you, you knew that he was, first of all, he's very, um, very likable guy just in general, but you look at the size of this son of a bitch and the agility that he had for a big man. Vince always saw dollar bills in Mabel for whatever reason. Now that never translated to the box office. Maybe it was his lack of verbal skills, um, and a tendency to have the reputation of hurting guys in the ring. So it, it never, it just never really clicked, but Vince liked him. Vince liked him because he saw a big bastard that people would believe when he hits you or when he splashed you that you're not getting up from that. And that was just Vince's fascination with big guys. I guess I should mention we, uh, we had a segment here that's worth mentioning when Austin does come in with that limo, he eventually gets in the ring. And of course, as part of the contract that he can't touch Austin or he can't touch McMahon, but McMahon takes advantage of that and slaps Austin and then bails. And immediately the stooges are there to catch the ass whooping from Austin. You know, that's sort of a fun way to put over the pay-per-view for sure. Uh, let's get to it. Well, I guess before we should. We see Vince McMahon oiling himself up on Sunday night heat. He, uh, there's a shot that's airing of Vince from the back with his shirt off, rubbing baby oil on himself. And he tells the stooges it's not baby oil. It's man oil, pal. All you got to do is you go on this little thing called the internet and you go to man oil is us. Oh no, don't do that. What? No, no. 
but it's right there. It's yeah. Man Oil RS. But, you know, you can get a lot of things on the Internet and just, you know, put your credit card in and they ship it directly to your door. And that's where he got his Man Oil. But, hey, man, have you been thinking about all your credit cards that you used over the holidays and maybe you get that bill in January and it's all adding up? You need to make this your New Year resolution. You need to uh, visit our friends over at Lightstream, okay? If you want to lower your interest rate and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream, you'll get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay and save thousands in interest. Now, the rate is fixed, so as rates continue to rise, your low rate won't budge. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. The application is 100% online, and there are no fees, and the Lightstream website is so easy to navigate. Conrad, you've actually used Lightstream to get a car before. Yeah, it's super easy. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. I was able to, uh, just in a couple of clicks, go ahead and get a check overnighted. I went to the car dealer, negotiated like a cash buyer, stroked the check. I was done. Uh, I got a great rate, better than I could at my local bank. I got awesome terms and I didn't have to have any hassles. I mean, it was just a couple of clicks, boom, done. It, uh, it really is that easy. And our listeners right now can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. Now, the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle that's l-i-g-h-t-s-t-r-e-a-m.com slash wrestle now subject to credit approval rate includes a 0.50 percent auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information All right, let's talk about the show here. Let's get going. Uh, but I guess before we do, we should mention JR is not on this show. Uh, he's of course, normally here with Jerry Lawler. Instead, he's going to miss this event with Bell's palsy. Uh, what was your relationship like with Jim during this point? Well, Jim was still in the office every day and, and Jim just wasn't on camera and it wasn't, didn't have the, um, uh, endurance. I guess is the right word to be able to go out and call a live show. And plus he, he was self-conscious, I think, in the way he looked and also the, the slurring of the voice because half of his face was paralyzed with the Bell's palsy, but Jim never missed a day of work was in the office every day. And he, he actually was at the pay-per-view producing Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler during the live show. When I went back and watched this this week, I couldn't help, but think about just how damn long. Michael Cole had been the voice of professional wrestling. It really is incredible when you think about that. We're covering it 20 years later. I mean, he, he's the voice of professional wrestling for, you know, an entire generation, but for whatever reason, he doesn't necessarily get the same respect and I don't know, just fans don't talk about him the same way they do Tony Schiavone or Jim Ross or Gordon Soley. Why do you think that is? They will after he's gone. And I think that people will look back on Michael Cole and they will compare him to whoever it is that replaces Michael Cole. But Michael was one of the hardest working guys. You know, he had been over in desert storm for CBS and, 
uh, he had a hell of a career before he came into the WWF, but he worked hard on his craft. And one thing you'll never, ever call Michael Cole is lazy. He busted his ass and he still busts his ass. My God, he's, he's working and he's everywhere. But I think that when Michael goes away, people are going to go, Oh, whoever this new guy is just sucks. Where's my Michael Cole. You know, Michael Cole was the best, uh, doing this. And I think it's just a generational thing you like and you remember who you grew up on. Yes. And that's what you're fond of. Well, let's see if you're fond of this first match. Boss man beats Jesse James, the road dog in 11 minutes and 52 seconds. Meltzer would say originally this was supposed to be non-title match under hardcore rules, but the steps were eliminated later in the week. Solid opener with good heat only or good heat early, but the reactions died down as the match progressed two stars. Uh, what'd you think, man? I thought it was a really good traditional you had a traditional baby face and a traditional heel. Uh, they were behind road dog as a baby face and they didn't like boss man as the heel. It was a solid match. I thought they went out there and busted their ass. It was a way to set up for a title match in the future. Um, a good opener. And boss man won clean with a boss man slam. So that's good. Right. We've heard a lot of non finishes. Meltzer would have a comment here that I wanted to share in recent weeks. And when they've been split up, it's become pretty clear that Jesse James has a lot of charisma on his own and that Billy Gunn was one incredibly fortunate performer for the past year. Your thoughts. Well, I think that road dog is definitely the more charismatic of the two. Uh, and I think that as far as work goes, I think that their work is comparable, but if you had to pick one, I'm going to take road dog. I mean, he's, uh, second generation wrestler, been in the business his entire life. And I think Billy's great too. But at the same time, if you're going to make me choose, I, I would choose Road Dog. I think that he just had more experience and more polish throughout the years. Let's talk about our next match. Billy Gunn here is going to lose to Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock retains the Intercontinental title in 14 minutes and 24 seconds. It only gets a star and a quarter. Uh, Meltzer didn't love it. And Ken wins with a submission when uh, Billy Gunn taps out to the ankle lock. So we've seen uh, a couple of finishes here, but this one had a Val Venus run in where he gave Shamrock a DDT. What'd you think? I thought the match was okay. Here's, here's the part, you know, you watch it years later and think about, uh, little things as a producer. You had Road Dog open up the show with his music. Oh, you didn't know? Then you come to the second match and you got the exact same music without the oh, you didn't know? That's weird. Because it's Billy. And I just think about how the individuality, you're still looking at these guys as a team. It wasn't DX music, it was their tag team music. Uh, it just struck me funny. I don't know why I, I wrote that down and it was it was strange to me. I thought the match was good. It was okay. It wasn't anything to write home about. I thought that Shamrock ate Billy up in the match. Um, and there were times that you would see Billy had an asthma issue at the time, which is why he did a lot better in a tag team situation. He didn't have to go 10, 15 minutes by himself. And I think that that stood out a little bit, but that's to me, I know it. I know that, he was, he was sucking air in there a little bit at the time, 
but I thought they had a good match. And, um, I thought Billy, man, he's, he's got, had the look, he's still got the look. Um, but it was good. It was good. It wasn't, wasn't like, Oh my God, what a great match. But it wasn't like, boy, that match sucked. Well, speaking of something that sucked, Teddy Long sucked in this next match where we see X-Pac retain the European title against Gangrel. <laughs> they go five minutes and 53 seconds. Meltzer really liked the match that it was real good, fast paced action, but it lacked some crowd heat. And, um, Meltzer would say the only negative to the match, aside from it being terribly rushed was a spot where Gangrel was supposed to roll through on a cross body. He didn't roll through and the two were caught in mid position. And referee Teddy Long then screwed things up by counting three for what was a planned near fall. The crowd booed and chanted, you fucked up at the guys, which killed the build for the finish, which was an X factor, which occurred only moments later. Stood out when you watched it back, did it not? Holy shit. And they replayed it. Yeah. That was the other part about it. You know, you watch it live and go, oh shit. No, he didn't. Um, and then they replay it. I'm like, holy fuck. Uh, yeah, not good because when it started out and I'm, I'm taking notes on it and everything, and I'm watching this match and I'm thinking to myself, we had some great talent at that time, top to bottom. We really had some great talent on the roster and people, a lot of times don't throw gangrel into that mix. And Dave Heath was, just an excellent worker. He, he really and truly was. And you put him in there with Xbox. I thought the match was really good. And all of the air came out of the building and the match on that, you know, one, two, three. And man, we go back and remind everybody in the replay and then go into the finish. And it's like, really? What the fuck were we doing? Um, yeah, that was, that was a fuck up that, that fucked up. What would have been a really great match. Well, this was never going to be a great match. Sable and Luna in a strap match, four minutes and 43 seconds. Sable gets the win. Meltzer hated it. Gave it a dud rating. Uh, it is sort of interesting to see Sable with the strap, uh, not knowing exactly what to do, but trying to wear out Luna. Luna eventually has enough and just turns away and puts her back on the ropes. Like throw me into the fucking ropes and quit hitting me with that goddamn strap. Uh, Shane McMahon gets on the apron for some reason to distract somebody. Terry just appears randomly and she's referred to as a stalker from the crowd. And this is her debut. Of course, uh, she comes out and punches Luna and that allows Sable to touch the fourth turnbuckle to win the strap match. Bad stuff. Uh, we've talked about this one before. What'd you think? I thought, you know, again, watching it all over again, it wasn't that bad. And Luna got as much as she could. Sable sold her injuries from earlier in the night. And she was there for the shit, man. She busted her ass. Luna really busted her ass. And they made the best of the time that they had. It wasn't meant to be a 10-star match or whatever the hell. It was meant to be, here's a five-minute match with two ladies. And they go out and they do what they do. That's all it was, but it was, it didn't stink the joint out by any stretch of the imagination. And they all busted their ass. I love Shane's introduction of the lovely Luna. Um, cause her heart really was lovely. I cannot stress enough that no matter what you need to do, you need to go watch this match this week. If you haven't seen this next one in a long time, 
You'd go out of your way to watch the rock regain the WWF title in a match with mankind. An I quit match that goes 21 minutes and 46 seconds. We talked about this and covered it in long form before, including quotes from Foley's book that I won't revisit now, but we talked about it in beyond the mat. So if you'd like to go back and, and visit this match again, I encourage you to do it there. We're going to touch on it here, but I'm not going to read the same excerpts from the book and whatnot that we did there, but it was a match that was heavily featured in that movie for a reason. The violence here is another level. It's important to remember that it happens just a handful of months after he's thrown off the cage at King of the ring. So that happened at the end of June, 1998. Here we are at the end of January, 1999. And the crazy punishment continues, not just with tables, not just with brawling through the crowd, not just with falls, but handcuffed and unbelievable one after another chair shot to the head, perhaps overkill. Meltzer would even say at this point, it was sick chair shot city with an overkill to the point of 11 full force, brutal chair shots to the head, leaving mankind in the aisle covered in blood. When the tape played over the loudspeaker of him saying, I quit taped from his heat interview, they brought out a stretcher, but he refused the stretcher job. Although they were already into the next segment before showing him getting up and walking off on his own. This finish, and I'm not talking about the screw job aspect of it, didn't remotely qualify as entertainment. Maybe caring that a guy was formerly such a brilliant performer may wind up with no brain cells later in life qualifies you as someone who doesn't get it. There was one very interesting difference in phone calls here. After the hell in the cell match, probably 80% of the calls were glowing about Foley's performance and maybe 20% were concerned about the mentality of doing so. Both sides were right since they should have been concerned, but if you understand Foley's dreams, it was a good thing too. This time the calls to the observer were 90% negative towards the finish and almost nobody was raving in awe about the punishment Foley took and more were mad at him for his lack of common sense than empathizing with him for the pain he was willing to suffer for the sake of entertainment and to make the match more memorable. He should have accomplished the same thing with three chair shots. I do want to point out not in defense of Foley, but that I've seen people before take every bit as many chair shots as harder, harder to the head. And I'd bet pennies to the dollars on their financial payoff for it. It wasn't anything unprecedented and there is a lot of money involved in the business nowadays, but hopefully we'll never see anything like this ever again. Three and three quarter stars, man. It's pretty crazy. The rock is here swinging the chair, like a damn baseball bat. And there would be some hurt feelings afterwards between the two guys. Take us back. What were you thinking? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I, I don't think that anybody in the foresight um, really pictured it being as brutal as it was. However, you know, Mick thought about this match for a long time before going into it, and a lot of that stuff was Mick's call. Now, as he got into it, you know, you realize, man, this this is brutal. Plus, he's taking these unprotected uh, chair shots that I, I don't care who you are. I don't care what the fuck story you're trying to tell, which the story he was trying to tell was 
I'm not going to quit and I'm taking all this punishment. Uh, it was brutal and it was difficult to watch. It was difficult to watch 20 years later and look at it and try to rationalize it. It was absolutely brutal. But I remember going over that match with those guys and coming up with the spot to take the bump into the equipment and all that other stuff. Um, it just, it, it is, it is something that you will never see again, hopefully never see again. And hopefully nobody on the independent circuit would want to try and recreate it. Um, it's, it's a lesson of what not to do. However, at the time it was, it was a story that sounded really great on paper. However, in execution, I think everybody was cringing and going enough. I think it was shit. It was enough in the ring after the first or second chair shot. It should have been over then. And that's hindsight. And that was also something that Mick kept getting up and Mick kept, you know, calling for more. And maybe Mick wasn't in his right mind at that time. and doesn't even remember that. And, you know, Mick telling rock, you got to come with those chair shots, not doing what he was asked to do. And I think at the end of the night, it was a misunderstanding. You know, there, there's even footage of, of Mick, of rock checking on Mick after the match. And you also have to take into consideration rock. Wasn't done for the night either. Rock still had to come back and do the thing with Austin at the end of the night. So, you know, rock's got to get showered up, get dressed and do all this other stuff. But he did go in and check on Mick. Mick doesn't remember that. And it was a horrible scene with his family and the fact that his kids, you know, had to witness it. That was, that was horrible. And it was something that as he revisits, I think he regrets. And as a producer, uh, I regret, you know, not again, I don't think anybody saw it for what, for what happened. I think that we pictured something else. Um, it was brutal. Absolutely well, brutal. Well, let's say it like it is. Unless I don't want to tuck it here. Rock got carried away and did too many chair shots. Well, again, I, I don't know that Mick Foley wasn't calling him and Mick getting up. And I think that rock thought he was going to do two chair shots in the ring and then go to the back. But Mick kept getting up and kept coming for more. So again, that's a call on the fly. And it's a judgment call and it's something that's why, look, I wasn't in the ring. I don't know if Mick called for him or not. I don't know, but both guys are at fault for, for even coming up with the thing. And it was, it was just brutal, but rock was doing his job and Mick was doing his job. It was just brutal. And it and was fucking too much. It was just, there comes a point where I think that, you know, somebody should have audibled and said, man, you're in the moment. This is too fucking much. Go home. But hang on now. Nobody did that. Let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Are we putting that on us on the concussed guy? I put it on both of them. Well, but I what put I'm it saying on both is, of them and I put it on the referee. I put on. it on all three guys in that match. That's not fair to put it on Foley here to me. If he gets hit to the point where he's not in his right mind. I mean, let's talk about this. His egg, his, his brain is scrambled eggs at this point after a few of these. And you're like, well, they kept getting up. Fuck. He no, don't know what he's you doing. don't know that they were scrambled eggs at that point. Well, he he's taken more. He, he had taken more punishment than that before and not been scrambled eggs. So you don't know that. 
and you and you're going with something and you look at a guy and they tell you they're okay. And I'm not saying that's what he did. I'm I'm saying that the onus falls and the responsibility fell on everybody in that match. And I think that Rock should have called it, and I think Mick should have called it. You know, when you're 275 pounds and you're swinging something as hard as you can, and the guy keeps getting up. I mean, listen, he might be Superman, but holy shit, maybe it's time to do a body slam or something else. Mick wrote in the book, I was in a match that had gotten carried away. I was suffering a great deal and I wanted it to end. Um, he's carried resentment for years over the number of chair shots. Uh, I'm sure they've patched everything up and everything's good now, but they weren't. He was upset about the number of chair shots. And some of this is because his family's there and I'm sure they were fired up and that makes it way worse. And it's all in the movie and it is something you need to go see. So go watch the match. If you can run down a copy of beyond the mat, I would encourage you to watch that and listen to our episode about that as well. I mean, this is, this is crazy. It's also their third match in a great series of matches that they had. Um, I mean, you it can... was fucking brutal. I mean, there, there's no other way to describe it. And I mean, it was, it was fucking brutal. What'd you prefer this match or the halftime heat match? Oh God. The halftime. I, I, look, um, this match is hard to watch. It is hard to watch. It's just, it's just hard to watch for the brutality of it. The halftime heat was a fun match. And I thought it told a great story as well. This told a different story, and I just thought you're looking at hindsight. It was it was absolutely brutal and very. It's just it's just difficult to watch, man. It's just it's it's hard because you're sitting there going and and you know here's a guy that is given everything and and it it was brutal. It was brutal. And again, I just go back and I look at all of them and I don't even think, I don't think that we had earpieces at the time, um, for the referees yet. And I think if we did, we would have been yelling, go the fuck home, just end it now, go home. Um, didn't have that, didn't have that luxury. And it, uh, if you haven't seen it, yeah, you, know, you like brutal shit, then you'll love it. But it's, I, you know, here's a warning. It's brutal as shit and not easy to watch all these years later. You know, to be clear, uh, the rock is one of the nicest dudes I've ever met. He's, he's at a level where he doesn't have to be, but he is the super nice guy, but I'd be willing to bet if you really tried to pin him down about, do you have any regrets from wrestling? Not in a funny, ha ha way. Not like, oh, that pineapple Willie haircut or whatever. I bet this is one of them, but at the time I get, you know, it's important to remember too. The rock's been in the business at this point. I mean, with you guys for two years and change and the guy keeps getting up and you're supposed to beat him until he's down. It's 50, 50, but man, I sure do think that this is something that he regrets because I know everybody else involved us. Let's talk about the main event. Something that, uh, we never thought we would see Vince McMahon wins the Royal rumble 56 minutes, 38 seconds. It's never specified on this show, how long it will be in between people joining in. And there doesn't seem to be a set time. 
Well, Conrad, I, I, uh, ran a stopwatch and I timed every single interval. And yeah, there was no, desert. <laughs> it's amazing. I think, every, I think every one of them were, were pretty much different. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like it's 90 seconds. Sometimes it's clearly not. Uh, well, but, sometimes it's, it's a minute and 11 seconds. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> sometimes it's two and a half minutes. Hey, but who's counting? We start with McMahon and Austin and McMahon is coated up in the baby oil here. Chat me up here. Is this Vince McMahon's like fantasy? I mean, this has to be something that even though he tries to downplay it and not get overly excited or acknowledge it for anybody. The way he's carrying on here, he's having fun. Oh, hell yeah. He's having fun. I, come on. This is what Vince dreamed of since he was a kid. Sure. He always wanted to be a performer. Vince always wanted to be Dr. Jerry Graham. He always wanted to be in the spotlight. He wanted to be that nasty heel that everyone despised. So hell yeah. He was loving it. He's a performer. He loved getting out there and doing that shit. I got to tell you, it was fun to go back and watch this because the crowd is just so into this and Austin's wearing him out, gets him into the corner, stomps for what feels like forever, flips him off one final kick. As Michael Cole would say, vintage Austin. I just loved it. Their interaction at the beginning was unbelievable. I loved it. McMahon gets one low kick in and, uh, Meltzer wrote McMahon came out with the oil and tan in a bottle that bodybuilders use coming on stage, walking around like a contestant bodybuilder with the famous pro wrestling mill mascaris walk. And, uh, yeah, Golga comes in next because I know when I think about Austin and McMahon, Golga's who I want next. Damn right. To my surprise, the crowd's so hot that Golga is actually getting over. Like the crowd is really with their little oddities, hand movements, you know, the old public enemy, put your hands in the air gimmick. Austin and McMahon wind up brawling to a women's bathroom. And when they do, it's revealed that this was all a trap. McMahon had lured him in and the corporation is going to destroy Austin and leave him laying. Draws comes in next with face paint. Not a look we saw very often edges out next. And then Gilbert comes in and Gilbert is getting the full Goldberg like treatment, huge reaction from the crowd. Steve Blackman's out next. So let's run through that. We start with Austin McMahon. Then we run through all these guys, Dan Severn, Tiger Ali Singh. And to my surprise, blue Manny comes out, gets a hell of a pop. Once he scoots in the ring, does his mini dance, the crowd responds. It's really weird because I don't even remember blue mini being in a Royal rumble, much less his dance getting over like that. This crowd was so into this match and it's names that you wouldn't normally expect there to be a big pop for, but they're here. It's, it's fun to go back and look at times when the job squad and the oddities were really, really over. At this point in the match, though, it doesn't feel like we've got a contender for somebody who might actually win the thing who would have helped lay out this Royal rumble as far as entrance of, or, you know, the order of the entrance and all that. I think Pat and I laid it out for the most part. 
What's the story? Had, you know, trying? we had the, the idea behind it was start with, and, and this was my bitch. Uh, what I, what I didn't like about it. Um, and actually Terry Taylor, uh, worked with us on it as well, but here's what I, what I hated about it. Vince and Austin start two biggest names. Vince first time, you know, being in the ring type thing, actually in a match. Austin, the hottest fucking guy in the territory. And they're gone five minutes into the match. And yes, we had little bits with them where you saw them back and forth, but, um, you didn't have any Austin. You didn't have any Vince in the match. And I think that that was a big, big lure for people to see them interact with, with other guys in the Royal rumble. So that part, I, I, you know, we were, we, we had our hands tied. This is, these are the spots we have to get in. This is how we're going to do it. Um, so we had to figure it out. We just, we had to figure, figure it out. And when you look at everybody in totality of, guys that are entered in the Royal rumble, you know, it was an Austin McMahon <laughs> Royal rumble. Uh, you had a few other names in it, but it was tough. I mean, it, it was, it was just, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. You got to figure out spots for 30 different guys and know what the hell's going on at, at all times. And, and it, it's writing a 60 minute match that you literally have to write because one spot goes in into another guy's entrance and this exit goes into something else. So, um, it was just, it was difficult. We had our hands tied with the Austin McMahon interaction or lack thereof. It is pretty, uh, exciting when I saw Tiger Ali Singh come in. Well, he came in, his was only a minute 30 interval. The average interval was about a minute 35. You're interested. The lights go out eventually when it's just Jesse James and Mabel undertaker comes out. The acolytes and Midian hit the ring and they decide to attack Mabel and they drag him away. Kurgan shows up Gangrel's here. Well, well, and that was, and that was the longest interval. Shut the fuck up. Seriously. It was, it was two and a half minutes. From the time that Road Dog came out and we had a blackout, it was two and a half minutes until Gangrel came out. That we had that we did the whole thing with Taker. And we didn't send anybody out for two and a half minutes. Felt well, like an eternity. Well, but you knew the good wrestling was coming because Kurgan was out next. Yeah. Um Meltzer would write Kurgan showed up and the next 90 seconds were worse than the previous 35. Uh, Al snow was next in uh, Goldust, then Godfather, by the way, big pop for Godfather and the crowds even, uh, chanting. We want hose, which is kind of fun. Instead of hose though, they got the mayor canes out. Um, the orderlies show up and Kane gives one a choke slam. He jumps over the top rope, eliminating himself and the crowd's sort of down on that. And then Vince McMahon shows back up wearing a sweatshirt and he's going to do commentary for like the next half hour. 
Yeah, no shit. But but before that, we had we gave Kane. Kane had the diesel spot, and that was the spot of going in and clearing house and and standing in the ring alone. Um, and that's actually what we called it. We would always have the diesel spot because we did it kind of as a way to spotlight Diesel in his first Royal Rumble. And then each year we'd go, okay, who's going to get the Diesel spot and come up with some way for some guy to come out and clear the ring. And it was Kane's turn this time. And then the orderlies coming out and him eliminating himself. But then it was, you know, you're sitting there looking at it going, man, we got no Vince. We got no Austin. We got to do something. And then the idea was we'll put Vince on commentary. And so he's back out there and you're getting Vince, but he's not in the ring. So yeah, it was a lot of caveats. We've got, uh, an ambulance. That's going to come back at this point, this time with Austin driving it. I guess I should remind everybody that when he was left for dead earlier in the women's bathroom, that's real sentence. They carted him out. Not through the back, but through the front of the building to where they're going outside, but there's fans everywhere and Austin's on a stretcher. It was a surreal scene. I don't remember seeing anything like that before. It wasn't like a loading dock. It was just out the door. Uh, but, but here the ambulance comes back and Austin runs in, goes after McMahon, but he's attacked by shamrock boss man comes in Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Val Venus are in next. Then X Pac and Mark Henry, then Jeff Jarrett. Um, the crowd, of course, dies when Deborah goes to the back. That's who got Jared to pop. Uh, Delo's in next. And this time he's got Jacqueline and Terry Runnels, which I don't really get because he didn't. He just calls her to have a miscarriage. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And then you have your second longest interval in between entrance and after d is is out there now you got two minutes and 18 seconds listen well, well, uh, who am i who am i talking to what what's going on you fucking nerd you're over here with a goddamn stopwatch time and interest i did you used to make I did. whenever we would have a, a recap of one of these shows and Meltzer would make mention of it you just flew off the handle making fun of him now I guess you figured out how to use your fancy stopwatch app on your phone and you're There's fucking this thing called a lap. And I saved every one of them. You can go back and you could look at the different intervals all the way through, Jesus. but no, it, it, here's, here's the thing running gorilla. And, and a lot of times I, I would get so mad because I just wanted to run the two minute clock. It's easier that way, <laughs> but we had so many things that had to happen before the next guy could come out. And then I would always go back to the very first Royal rumble and Dick Eversall and Titan time. So it was just for shits and giggles. I was like, man, I remember this and I remembered just every, everybody was different and everything was different. And I, it was one of the very first times that I didn't just run a two minute or 90 second clock that I just was waiting for spots and sending guys. And I would just, I'd wait for a spot and go 10, nine, and they would put the clock up. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know what happened to Bruce, but I hope he shows up next week. Uh, Owen Hart comes in 
Uh, Austin throws a water pitcher in McMahon's face at ringside, but McMahon doesn't come into the ring. Finally, China as number 30 comes into the ring, goes right after Henry and dumps him out. And then Austin clothesline China over the top rope. And I guess we should mention, as you've probably figured out, China's the first ever female entrant into the Royal rumble match. And of course, now we have an all women's Royal rumble match, but in 99, this is a pretty damn big deal that 20 years ago. We would, uh, have our first female in a Royal rumble and a year after this, she'd be feuding with Chris Jericho, but another 10 years would pass before another female would be inside of the Royal rumble. And that'd be Beth Phoenix in 2010. I think karma was there in 2012. It's just, it's fun to go back and look at that. And, uh, I hope that this year is the year they put China in the hall of fame. What do you think? You think we'll see it? I'd like to see it, man. We got to see it here eventually. She deserves to be in, and who knows? But I, I certainly hope so, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later. Eventually, uh, Austin goes after McMahon at ringside, throws him over the barricades into the crowd, and then back into the ringside area. Uh, hard chair shot, gets him in the back of the head. Austin's killing him. Vince hits a low blow. Austin sells it momentarily and then recovers, hits the stunner forearm off the middle rope. And this brings the rock to ringside with the world title. He's dressed of course, and rock and Austin argue, allow McMahon to dump him from behind. It's an easy win. And Meltzer would say probably the worst rumble ever when it came to the wrestling, but at least they constructed some stories to the match star and a half, pretty strict criticism or stiff criticism, worst rumble ever. It did tell a story, but, uh, not all that great. What say you? I hated it. I uh, hated it. And I wrote it. It, it was, it, it was just tough to do. We, we had handcuffs on. It did tell a story and to that. Okay. Uh, I give it credit. We told some good stories, but it, 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 the match itself was not good. And we didn't get to do as much Gaga and good shit in the, in the match itself that we normally would have. And that that's my biggest critique of it. We told one story and usually we get to tell, we, we would tell quite a few and, and intersperse shit and have little Easter eggs and nuggets in the damn thing. That wasn't the case here. Um, we, you know, the undertaker story a little bit with Mabel, the Kane story, but the rest of it, it was Austin McMahon. And you only got them for a short period. So that was frustrating to me, but yeah, I don't think it was a good rumble at all. 25 minutes and 47 seconds is the longest anyone spends in the ring. And that's Steve Austin's total time. Of course he was in there at the start and the finish, but there was the big chunk in the middle for both him and McMahon where they were out. And Meltzer would say it's the second lowest time for any wrestler. Uh, that was the longest in a Royal rumble. The lowest was 1988 for Bret Hart with 25 minutes and 42 seconds. Normally there's some sort of, you know, iron man who makes it the majority of the match. And that didn't happen here. The next day on raw, the show would open with McMahon doing an interview saying he's going to give up his title shot and is going to appoint someone of his choosing to the mania match. And he says he's going to give the rock the hundred thousand dollars from Shane's Shane's trust fund for distracting Austin in the Royal rumble. 
And then Austin is on the Titan Tron and he's in Shawn Michaels house in San Antonio. And, uh, this allegedly is around the same time when the rumor and innuendo gets kicked around that it was Sean who pitched that the WrestleMania main event needed to be straight up Austin rock, not a three-way with mankind, which I know you said didn't happen. Was this footage of Austin and Michaels actually shot at Sean's house? I believe it was. It was either Sean or Austin's house, one of the two, but it was shot in Texas. So what'd you think, man? Here we are, the Royal Rumble, 1999. It obviously got a uh, a big rating the next night. Raw got a 5.46 and an 8.1 share. It handily beat Nitro with a 4.99. Um, the big storyline the night after is uh, China giving Triple H a low blow and joining the corporation. It does feel sort of out of left field. And I know we're, we've talked about it at WrestleMania 15 that Triple H is going to follow suit and turn on X-Pac and join the corporation. But why was the decision made to have China join the corporation here? Just one night after she gets this big moment at the Royal Rumble, it does feel like the fans would have been behind her in that moment. But you guys just swerve, bro, the next day. Yeah, and I think that's what it was. In addition, the kind of the nugget that Austin eliminated her from the Royal Rumble, therefore destroying her dreams, and use that as one of the excuses to bring her into the corporation. But yeah, swerve, bro, and keep people off kilter and surprises, damn it. Do you think the um the Super Bowl commercial so, you know, we talked about halftime heat. We should talk about the Super Bowl commercial you guys did, which you guys titled a day at the office, which had a bunch of special effects and stuntmen. It got everybody talking, including an article in the New York times. And it was sort of expressing that you guys were going to be doing a huge ad campaign to sort of attack these media detractors and the people like you, we talked about earlier in Winnipeg, the, the teachers who were upset and just trying to enhance the image. Did you think that, um, the commercial really told that story with McMahon at the end of this crazy commercial, just looking at the camera and saying, get it. Does, did that, that tell that story to you? Yeah, it did. And I think that also to the fringe people that maybe had never sampled the WWF before it was intriguing. And yeah, I, I really do think that it gave them something to, say that, Hey, we're not saying that all this shit is real and 100% that this is the way it is that we're fun. We're entertainment. We're gaga. We're haha. Come have fun with us. Get it. Um, you got to start somewhere. $1.6 million is what is reported. You paid for it. Does that seem right? I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. <laughs> it was a shitload of money, man. For 30 seconds. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, signs a contract extension at the end of January here for another five years. His prior contract was set to expire in October of 99, but he added on here and it's sort of freestyled in some of the newsletters that maybe that was done because Kevin Nash was booking WCW 
And a lot of people felt like Nash would have had a lot of influence to help get Hunter a huge guaranteed contract from WCW. But maybe if they go ahead and lock him down now, that would be in their favor. Was there ever a concern that he may be looking to explore opportunities somewhere else, especially given that Nash had some stroke down there and they had a lot of money to spend? I don't think so. You know, and, and, you know, JR was doing the negotiations at that time, but there never really seemed to be a whole lot of concern with Hunter and, you know, even Sean and Sean was locked up for a while. The, I don't know that there was, especially once we had turned the tide, it was guys wanted to be there. They were making more, they were making more money in WWF than they were in WCW at that time, unless you were a a top, top, top guy. Um, so there didn't seem to be a whole lot of concern. It was just more of a, all right, you got a year left on a contract. You wanted to get guys tied up for a long-term and that's where Vince went from the two year deals about this time, maybe a little earlier where he went from the two year deals to the five year deals. It was like, if I'm going to invest, I, I want, I want to know that they're here for the long haul. And that was his rationale behind that. Before that, you know, all those deals had been two year deals and very few people had any longer terms. So, some did, but this was during the time of man, if you can lock them up, lock them up for five years. So, you know, you have them. Well, we know that we have you here and we appreciate you being with us. If you haven't already go follow us on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. We brought the poll back. You guys wanted to hear Royal rumble, 1999, and uh, we're going to have more polls for you to vote in head on over right now to at Pritchard show and vote in this week's poll. Let us know what you want to see to my surprise. You guys wanted to see Royal rumble, 1999 here. So we made it happen and we're looking forward to uh, answering some questions that you asked about this show. We're going to do these rapid fire here, Bruce. Are you ready? Ready. John wants to know with so much of the action taking place outside of the ring and the rumble match, was there any concern of the in ring action being presented as largely unimportant to me? Yes, there was, there definitely was, but there wasn't any concern on Vince McMahon's part. Derek wants to know, were there ever any other finishes considered for this or was it always Vince winning the rumble from my standpoint, it was always Vince winning the Royal rumble to get, to get to the February match noises and nonsense wants to know, did anybody even suggest that China actually win the rumble? Nope. Deca wants to know what would it sound like if Cornette saying no chance in hell, no chance in hell motherfucker. Ross wants to know what Fuck you Ross wants to know what Ross wants to know, are you going to keep going or can I go now? No, you good. Ross wants to know what would it sound like if John Laurinaitis did the training video with Vince instead of Shane? Oh, damn Vince, your arms are massive, but they need more man oil. That's what I call it when it goes on your body, sir, because your vascularity is immense. Hit that meat. You want me to hold the meat for you, sir? I love holding your meat. I don't know how to. Okay. <laughs> what? Nothing. Nothing. You win. What I do? <sighs> <laughs> <I'll> just... 
I don't I don't know what to say, really. Nobody can beat your meat, Vince. Hmm. Okay. Jordan wants yeah. to know during the Beyond the Mat movie, Undertaker was sitting at gorilla position with Triple H. Why did Taker sit at Gorilla during this show? Probably because that was the best spot to watch a monitor. And he liked to talk to me. He didn't have anything else to do. So he's going to sit there and watch the show. And he always sat at gorilla and we were bullshit. Luke wants to know who did the catch the chicken video. Love that so much. Shane O'Mac, the, the, the training vignettes. Those were Shane O'Mac's idea. Devin wants to know, given Mabel's track record of injuring numerous wrestlers during his initial singles run, why was he brought back ahead of the rumble? Was there an understanding that Mabel would have to be better to protect his opponents during the matches? It feels like he injured guys quite a bit. I think that, you know, Vince again, saw something else in Mabel and he saw dollar signs we talked about earlier. So it, you know, you can chalk up a lot of the injuries to unfortunate accidents and that's what Vince chalked it up to. Here's something nobody ever cared about. Andrew wants to know why wasn't giant Silva in the rumble? Jesus Christ. Come on. Did you see the, the, the talent that we had in there? Yeah, Where would he have gone? Maybe instead of Tiger Ali Singh. Tiger Ali Singh could work or shoot. Damn it. Uh, Noah wants to know what did the boys think of Vince winning the rumble? I think, you know, look, when everybody's making money, nobody gives a shit. However, I think that there was a you know, probably some people, and I don't know this because nobody said it to me, but I think people that would think, oh, the boss is putting himself over, but he was the hottest damn heel in the company at the time. Gerard wants to know, is there a blooper reel of these training videos with Vince and Shane? Uh, there has to be, there has to be. Cause he got so frustrated apparently with that chicken and I wasn't there, but I'd heard. Francis wants to know, why did the Spanish announce table always get destroyed during the pay-per-views? Cause you can't destroy the American announce table. Christopher wants to know what type of dessert did Vince celebrate with after this Royal rumble win? A protein shake. I think he was wondering about a, maybe a certain type of milk and cookies. Chocolate milk. Maybe the best question we've gotten here on the show. This is from at big Joshful. Did Mick really get electrocuted? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was, it was only 600 volts. So everybody knows at 600 volts, the sweat in the body counteracts any electricity running through it. Now, if it had been 604, that'd be a different story. I don't know why, but that one really cracked me out. Uh, Rich wants to know whose idea was it to give away action figures for ordering the pay-per-view. So in case you're not in the loop on this, there was a promotion where, uh, you could get exclusive action figures for ordering this pay-per-view. God, I have no idea. That might've been a regional deal. I don't remember doing that nationally. Was that a national deal? I don't remember that. So, um, have no idea. Danny wants to know whose idea was it for the I quit match? I thought it was one of the more clever finishes you guys ever did. I believe it was Mick Foley's idea. 
the the whole concept and everything, I believe, was Mick's idea that he pitched. Uh, Umar Khan wants to know: Was it Austin winning ever considered? Uh, no, because again, you, you're looking at a story, and we we needed to get to the February cage match with Vince and Austin. And that would have been the first one-on-one match with Vince and Steve. So that the idea behind it was to do the controversial deal with Vince winning and getting to that match. So no. Tony wants to know, do you think that Austin and McMahon interacting here took away from the St. Valentine's day massacre main event? I uh, no. Okay. Not at all. Uh, Steven says, I love the footage of Foley's kids and, uh, beyond the map where they're backstage playing with Austin. I also remember Brett having his kids backstage a lot. Was this common and did any talent ever have an issue with it or behave more PC when the kids were around? I, I don't know that anybody ever had any problem with kids being backstage. And, and again, it was a little bit of a family atmosphere, but when it came time to work, we usually liked them to leave. I'm not a big, I'm not a big proponent of having friends and family in a backstage area during a live event, uh, television event, because there's so many things that are going on that can get messed up. Not their fault. It's just, there's so many things going on that shit can happen and for their safety and for the betterment of the product. But there were different guys that, that had their kids around and some that didn't want their family anywhere around it, but nobody resented it or had any problem with it. Is there, um, was there rather some sort of like unspoken protocol about that? Like, you know, we've all heard as wrestling fans, you know, when you get there, you're supposed to go around, introduce yourself, shake everybody's hand, blah, blah, blah. Was there something like that for kids? No, they usually hang out in the, in catering or, just out of the way, out of the way was good. Did anybody bring their family around too much to the point where the guys were like, Oh God, this again. Huh? No, not really. It, it was, you know, it, the backstage area is just not conducive to that. And I don't think that, you know, some, some of the guys wouldn't want to bring their, their family <laughs> around some of the other guys just for whatever reasons, but, uh, it's just not conducive to, to bring your family to come and hang out. Did, did, you know, if you work at, uh, JC Penny, do you get to bring your family to come and hang out with you while you work and you're selling jeans? It's just, it's not conducive. Uh, two more here or three more, I guess. Craig wants to know who is Kelsey and why are his, why are his nuts so dead? Well, because it's, you got to know Kelsey. Okay. And if you don't know Kelsey, I can't explain it to you. I'm sorry. Razor but, wants to know when Michael Cole says boss man is quote, the enforcer of the corporation, he takes no prisoners. Did you also wonder how big Batista's dick was? Great. Uh, Nathan wants to know what's the deal with the Royal rumble 99 poster is Austin kicking the door, setting up the door for a stunner or poorly attempting a spinning heel kick on the door. He's kicking it, isn't he? 
Yeah, it says either that or he's jumping. Either that or he's doing like a broad jump. The the kick, it looks like is to set up a stunner, but it is a fair question. Was his plan in the poster to stun the door? I think so. Hmm. Well, all right. We hope that uh, you've enjoyed this week's episode of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. We hope you come see us next week in Colorado Springs. Can't believe this is really finally going to happen next week though. What you're going to get is what came in second place and, uh, by a wide margin, Royal rumble 99 won the poll, but second place was Royal rumble 2004. So we're going to press fast forward, cover Royal rumble. Oh, four next week. But we've got a poll right now live for you over at Pritchard show on Twitter. Let us know what you want to hear in two weeks, but next week, tune in same bat time, same bat channel. Tell a friend if you haven't already about the greatness that is Bruce Pritchard reliving old WWE memories. And we'll get in our way back machine and talk about Royal rumble 19 or I'm sorry, 2004, which is one that a lot of people probably didn't think we would ever cover. Because of who wins the doggone thing, Chris Benoit on the undercard. It's a last man standing match, triple H and Shawn Michaels. We've also got hardcore Holly and Brock Lesnar, Chavo and Eddie, Jamie Noble and Ray Mysterio evolution and the Dudley boys. It's Royal rumble 2004. What comes to your mind right away here? Well, it's, it's the, in my mind immediately just comes the build of Eddie Guerrero and kind of the. <laughs> the end of one thing and the beginning of another, but the, the build of Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and a kind of change in philosophy, a lot of change taking place right around this time. And it was the whole story behind the hardcore Holly and Brock match. And just the debate that went on seemed endlessly, but, uh, that one I'm looking forward to. That's going to be a lot of fun. This show has almost been scrubbed from WWE history. You know, whenever they talk about, uh, people entering at number one and winning the Royal rumble. Uh, the commentators would often say things like only two people have won from the number one position, including hall of famer, Shawn Michaels, cause they're not going to say Chris Benoit, but it happened. Royal rumble, 2004. We'll revisit it next week right here on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. You know, somebody asked me the other day. Why you say Shaka Khan at the end? And I was like, man, if you don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Oh, Hey, by the way, um, nobody's listening now. So I can just tell you if you're still listening now, no, you can't send me your resume to work at AEW. I don't work at AEW. <laughs> Throw any cons, my buddy and ask me to host the rally. That's it. <laughs> I don't work at AEW. I don't have an email for you to send your resume to AEW. Um, I know Tony's number and email and no, I won't give it to you, but he texted me and asked me to do it. So I did it, but I don't work there. I do mortgages and podcasts. So go to save with Bruce.com or see you next week right here. <laughs> noon Eastern. Roll Tide. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.